Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuz-Gauspo. Well, guys, uh, we kind of thought that this bye week would be a chance for us to lick our wounds a little bit uh, coming off that Akron debacle. Uh, little did we know that uh, some of these wounds that Northwestern would be facing would not be healed with just a little bit of licking. Um, awful news coming out that Jeremy Larkin has to retire due to uh, cervical stenosis, uh, narrowing of the spine, which causes some tingling and numbness in, in his uh, extremities. Um just absolutely, I mean, this came out of nowhere. And, you know, obviously you, you never see something like that coming. Um, but, you know, just awful for, for him as far as, you know, football goes. But, you know, just try and spin it forward for, for Larkin. You know, he's jumping right back in and is a student coach and is going to go into coaching. Uh, so, you know, he, he's going to be fine long term. But, you know, for the football team, this is just a, a, gargantuan uh another another mountain to climb it is and i i i want to dwell on the positive a little bit before we start talking about the ramifications oh for sure absolutely for the team and like obviously this it's really good that they found this now as opposed to sometime right. later in his career right on the um, list of the list of things that could have happened relative to this this is the best possible scenario absolutely and 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 everything you've seen from jeremy on twitter has been you know positivity and you know the 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 people that have been around him and that have you know from his high school team through northwestern have all said um versions of the same thing which is basically like this kid is going to do great things and this is not going to set him back into you know in terms of his life goals to, to make an impact on the world and, and to, uh, and to do his thing. And that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, it sucks for the football team. Um, I'm really excited that he's going to be a a student manager for the team or a student coach. I I think that's great for him. I think it's great for his, his teammates. Um, but it is, it is a bummer. Uh, I, he has been so much fun to watch the last two years and, you know, obviously we had a lot of high hopes for him this year to, to step in and fill JJ's shoes almost seamlessly is an, a feat in and of itself. Um, but yeah, we will, we will definitely miss him on the field, but we will still be rooting for him uh, regardless of, of where he goes. I think kind of to, to one of your points too, in great to watch, not just on the field, but off the field. And I think if anything, that's one of the, the bummers of it is that, he was going to be a face of the program for sure for the next two years. Um, he just handles himself with nothing but class in press conferences. He was so comfortable in front of the cameras. Um, and he would have been, I mean, you could have easily seen, you know, we've talked about it before, him and Hunter Johnson um, just kind of anchoring the the media presence of the team for several years. And, and it's, it's really sad for him. Um, you know, like Scott said, this is the kind of thing where, I mean, this is this is a condition where it's like, you you know he may be saving his life by stopping playing football and that it was caught when it was thank god that it was um and i think you know from from a football perspective it's tricky because there are several things that are true at once relative to this and the cats and and i think given that the football team was in such a dark program already a uh, dark place already when this news dropped it's contributing to just this just total nihilistic attitude right now. And I'm not arguing with that. It's These are, you know, from a football standpoint, football-only standpoint, Akron and Jeremy Larkin having to retire are just a, a vicious one-two punch, and I'm not arguing with that. Um, when you actually look at kind of where we'll be beyond him, I think there are a couple, couple narratives that are rightfully competing with each other. He is for sure our best running back. There's no doubt about that. Um with that said, there is not this massive void between him and John Moten. There just isn't. And I've, I've seen some articles that are talking about the, the statistics, um, talking about like the comparison of his statistics to Moten's statistics. 
And it's like Moten's sample size has been so small. It's absurd. Yeah. Right. As to be non-existent. And I'm sorry, but it's like, yes, Jeremy Larkin came in last year and became our second running back. And the number one running back has gotten more carries than any Northwestern running back in history. So there weren't going to be carries for Moten last year. The year before, Moten looked great in his uh, in his relief duty. And I think to the point of some of the talk that, that we've had before, um, don't expect that there's going to be some big drop-off between Larkin and Moten. Any problems we have with the running game are rooted chiefly within the health of our offensive line. That is where well, our bread is. Well, I mean, I don't want to say, I mean, I, I don't want to sell Larkin short because Larkin yeah, I, was I, awesome. I, I, and what Larkin did have the ability to do that probably Moten doesn't is to potentially to get into the secondary and potentially break a play. Um, that, but, that, to me, the, I, there's the first three yards of the carry, probably not a lot of difference. What Moten had that I mean, Moten was kind of like a, a a one a one cut and go, like straight ahead runner. He had he had more mainline speed than JJ did, but he didn't have any of the shiftiness. And Larkin has been kind of like a perfect hybrid between those two things. He's got more speed than JJ did, but he has still a lot of the the lateral ability to make to make defenders miss. And it's that it's that first defender that I think Moten will struggle to make that that player miss. I wonder if if someone like Isaiah Bowser who probably won't make that player miss but might knock him over um is going to get to see some runtime here, but I think your your point about it being like the O-line kind of being the first element to this running game is absolutely true, but I I don't want to sell Larkin short on oh. what was a really a really talented ability that he brought to the game. Well, and the other thing too that again to your point and it's gotten clouded because the offensive line, our offensive line unit has been really banged up um, for a couple weeks now. And, and, you know, it's hopefully getting into a place where they can all start heading into the Michigan game. But Larkin was so comfortable with that first unit. And that became so clear in the Purdue game. And part of that's reps, but part of that's just natural instincts. I mean, it goes to that, that first, that cut ability that you were talking about. He was just, he's really comfortable on those plays, letting the linemen get out in front of them, let them develop. And, and again, I don't want to sell Moten short. I mean, we saw Moten in, uh, I think the pinstripe bowl and, and that whole season, um, he's capable of really doing some things. And, um, yes, he's not at the same level of Larkin, but to your point about, about the second level stuff that you were talking about. I think it's more of a the difference between a guy who rushes for 110 yards in a game and a guy who rushes for 180 yards in a game in terms of like the difference might be felt more against teams we would be expecting to have a better running day against whereas like teams with lockdown run defenses it wasn't. It's not going to be John Moten who's causing the drop off in that situation. It's just going to be because we don't have it, you know, in our front five to compete in the way that we want to with those top flight defenses. Um, and well, well, and to give to, to give two specific examples of because there are two games where he he got double digit carries in 2016. The first was against Purdue on the road. He carried the ball 16 times for 120 yards. That's a clip of 7.4 yards per carry. And then against Illinois later that year, uh, 130 yards on 14 carries, uh, just above nine yards per carry. So he's like he's got talent. Like JJ played in both those games and did a lot of <laughs> a lot more damage. But um, Moten being Moten was was the Larkin to JJ before Larkin was the Larkin to JJ and. <laughs> right against ex- exactly against Rutgers, Illinois, Nebraska, and Minnesota, we're not going to be failing to succeed because John Moten is on the field. He's going to do just fine against with our line against all of those defenses. Um, and but again, it's it's when you you you're coming off the Akron game and there's already such a dark place. It really is easy to to adopt this kind of sky is falling attitude. And again, it's right. You want to do the two things. Jeremy Larkin, it's not just that he was great. It's that he was going to continue to be great. And I think one of the differences between Northwestern and 
and where we're trying to get to in terms of the kind of team we want to be and some of these other teams is we don't have this inexhaustible. We don't have another Jeremy Larkin behind him. We have Moten who's solid. And then behind that, it's all untested, right? I mean, it's Bowser and, and who knows what else. So uh, I, I liked your theory from earlier today, John. Oh, about Kyrick McGowan. Kyrick yeah. McGowan, yeah. I think it'll be the one of the one of the real questions that I'm wondering is Kyrick McGowan was a running back in high school. He was a running back who also played wide receiver. Um, I would say if you're looking for a running back of a running back, he would be similar to of recent Northwestern profile. I would go back to Adonis Smith and say Adonis Smith would be the most similar to Kyrick as a running back. An upright runner with good top end speed. Now, obviously, Adonis ended up transferring out, and I don't know that he ever really got the, the total fair shake he deserved with the Cats. And Kyrick, honestly, is probably a better athlete than Adonis Smith was. But the one problem I was, was going to say, nobody, nobody was talking about Adonis Smith taking right. the top off of a defense. Sure, uh, right, right, exactly. But I, <laughs> but the one asterisk is we do not have, and I to not to state the obvious, especially for loyal listeners of the pod. We don't have the greatest track record of integrating fast running backs into our offense. And before you and and God help anyone who says, "What about Venrick Mark?" Because the road it took to get to Venrick Mark's junior year of mismanagement of Venrick Mark is not a proud moment in Northwestern athletic history. Allow me to go down just a quick sidebar. Uh, so to counterbalance my my wallowing through horrific losses of NU past. Um, I identified like 30 plus games in my, in my watching of NU football over the years that were awesome. And like four of those games were awesome simply because they were games that demonstrated how right we were about Venrick Mark for the two years before he got any run at running back. (laughs) Right. Uh, No, exactly. Or like, right. And so like, I mean, we see this with Jelani Roberts right now, but Solomon Vault is a classic example. Solomon Vault was a four-star running back by one service and a high three-star running back by a lot of other services who had an offer from Nebraska back when an offer from Nebraska meant a lot more than it does right now. And we were just never able to effectively integrate him into the running game. And But with that all said, again, this all being said, the fact remains that Kyrick McGowan was an impact speed running back at the high school level who would be available to do that role, especially if if we if it looks like he's getting phased out or not being used as much. I think we've already seen a little bit of Jelani package out of Kyrick McGowan. So we've seen more of McGowan in that end around than we have Jelani, honestly, this season so far. Right. Right. Here's a, think, here's a pretty interesting thing that I like. I kind of looked at like we know that Jelani is tiny, right? Um, and I kind of thought like, oh, J.J. Jefferson, Kyrick McGowan, uh, these guys are all kind of like a similar build. Not true. McGowan, McGowan's listed at one ninety eight. Yeah, McGowan. Well, he bulked up too. McGowan that's, was McGowan that's was twenty up. to twenty to thirty pounds heavier than than Roberts or Jefferson. Um, oh, Roberts Roberts cer- is listed at one seventy three. I know, but it's probably it's, yeah. that's one seventy three right. soaking wet. <laughs> yeah, right. One seventy three carrying a ten pound weight. <laughs> and I don't remember how small Venrick was, but he wasn't. I don't think he was he was bordering on two hundred, but still, like he put on you, a lot of weight. You could see, like you can you can look at this, you can envision McGowan in the backfield. Um, I think that'd be a pretty interesting, uh, a pretty interesting approach. And and again, I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners right now who are being like. Why did you skip right over Isaiah Bowser and go right on to Kyrick McGowan? And you mentioned him, Scuzz, and you talked a little about his ability to be a little bit more of a hammer. Bowser's an interesting case um, because, yes, Bowser played in Ohio. He played in Ohio for a team that is traditionally awful and kind of put them on their back. Now, the minute they ran into teams of that were you know traditionally good at football in Ohio he didn't have particularly great days and they got mowed over that's not to sell him short it's to say it's hard to gauge exactly where he was I think even if you compare him to like Tyrell Sutton I don't there wasn't really the feeling so much about oh this guy's immediately going to project in college so much as like this guy's like a high school god so it all remains to be seen because the flip side and if you want to put a positive spin on it is um, 
Isaiah Bowser is playing under the best offense by far, regardless of competition he's ever played with. Like, he played for a team where they were like, give it to Isaiah and best of luck. And he was getting just, he was just dragging guys and literally putting the team on his back. Um, So now he's in a position where um, I think he's going to get a little bit more of a fair shake behind an offensive line that is great running the ball against mediocre to bad defenses when it's healthy. Um, so, so I think we're all just waiting to see what's there with him. It's a big question mark. And, you know, we, we've only seen him carry the ball once. He carried the ball once against Akron. Um, he was in the backfield a couple other times, but you know, we, uh, we have no idea what he looks like. He, he came into, uh, came, he came on campus early, you know, graduated high school early and came on campus last winter. So he's had a lot of time in the program already. So, you know, hopefully he's a little bit more up to speed, but we honestly have no idea what to expect from, uh, from Bowser. Well, and I think, and I, and I think on top of that, I think the way people should kind of think about Bowser is very much akin to John Moten, you know, um, more of a straight ahead power runner with, uh, some decent speed. Now Moten's probably faster, um, but like, that's why the McGowan, the McGowan conversation is so interesting to me. Cause that's a, that is a different type of running back and probably one that would be more in the line of, uh, Larkin than either of these other two guys. So I, I, I think all of this is like, there's a giant or between all these guys, right? We're probably going to see running back by committee more than anything else. At least I would imagine for the next couple games and then we'll see what happens. Um, Unfortunately, our next opponent is probably the worst possible team that you would want to be like figuring out your running back rotation against. But, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, but honestly, maybe that's a good thing because maybe we decide, all right, we need to be a lot more creative in our attack and come at this from a different place than than we normally would in terms of establish the run at all costs. Sure. And I think if you look at our remaining schedule, we play five great to fantastic run defenses and four bad run defenses. So those four bad run defenses, I've seen nothing to dissuade me of the notion that if our offensive line is intact and, and working well, like all the running backs we have talked about from um, Moten on down are all going to do just fine against those bad ones. And against the good ones, it's going to be a heck of a lot more than the running game that those games depend on. It's going to be... Um, a balanced effort. A lot of it's going to fall on Clayton Thorson and, um, and, and of course the defense too, but there's just the idea that, that Larkin is, is the, was the thing holding the running game together was not true. He was an excellent player who provided a real boost and a potential game breaking ability to our running game. Um, And now that's gone, but I mean, do not gauge the performance against Michigan or Michigan State by the loss of Jeremy Larkin. It's just you've the both of those teams are phenomenal run defenses, um, and it's there's going to be a lot else going on that we're going to be talking about. So, so let's talk about this weekend's game. You know, uh, Northwestern taking on Michigan. Uh, Michigan coming off three consecutive games where they put up over 45 points granted Western Michigan uh, SMU and Nebraska were those three games so you know take that with a grain of salt you know they only put up 17 against a very talented Notre Dame defense we talked about them before the season but uh you know they're coming in to Evanston a uh, 14 point favorite over under uh, as far as ESPN is concerned 46 and a half so they're exp- they're not ESPN and in the and Vegas are not expecting a ton of points from the cats uh, and they are expecting a fairly sizable Michigan win um what do you i mean what's the scenario where we we actually are competitive and we can come out uh, come out with a W not, well, not, not to sound too doom and gloom here, but you know, let's let's be honest. Michigan is better than Northwestern right now. Well, so I mean, for sure, and you can't argue with that. But I do feel, and again, I'm I'm sure everyone that's listening at home is thinking this: that given these two horrible events that have occurred, it feels like we're just standing in front of a tornado right now, a Wolverine tornado that is coming toward us right now. 
uh, and that we're just about to get run over. And I can't stress this fact enough. At no point this season has our defense stopped being good. Akron scored 18 points on offense against us. If we didn't have three 21 points scored on turnovers, uh, that game is a comfortable win for Northwestern. And yes, you can look back and think, all right, yeah, but what about those coverage issues? Sure, absolutely. But what we have is a defense that has a great front four, great linebackers, and a secondary right now that is susceptible to giving up big plays. That was the story in the Duke game. That was the story in the Akron game. And on the other side, you've got Michigan, a team that I don't feel like I know anything more about them than I knew coming out of the Notre Dame game. Uh, We've seen them play one good defense and three awful defenses, and they looked good against the awful defenses and bad against the one good defense that they played. Um, And it's, and I'm still kind of wondering, and because Notre Dame up until the Wake Forest game, where they made a change at quarterback that really altered the dynamic of the team, didn't look like anything special either in the two weeks after the Michigan game. Everything about the Wolverines is still really murky when it comes to their offense facing our defense. And if you, you know, if you're looking for a way to get under that 14 point spread and make this game close, that's it right there. I know like Michigan's offense has put it up, but I can't stress how bad Western Michigan, Southern Methodist and Nebraska are. Those are three awful teams. And, um, you know, it's like, it's not like Michigan has shown any ability to do well against a good defense yet this season. So, um, I think the the real massive problems for us are on the other side of the ball. But when it comes to Michigan's uh, ability to score points on us, make no assumptions. Well, I, I think I think you're right. The, the the issues are on the other side of the ball. And here here's the thing about their their defense, though. They're undisciplined. Yeah, which is a little strange given, you know, the the juxtaposition between them and Ohio State coming into the year because Ohio State has been in some ways a little bit, you know, a little bit more disciplined than one might have expected because I think a lot of people thought that except for Wisconsin, Michigan was going to be the bell cow. I mean, like the talent is still there, but you're right. Yeah, they've got they've got all the talent, but you know, you go back, you watch that Notre Dame game and Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich are just rushing with reckless abandon and allowing a tor- a terrible quarterback in Brandon Wimbush to step up in the pocket and make throws. And if our guards and centers can do can do their job, and that's maybe the biggest question because that's that is what that's what fell apart in the second half against Akron. I mean, you, the the fumble. Um, that resulted in a touchdown was JB Butler getting blown up. Uh, there was, there was a lot of pressure coming through the center of the pocket. Um, it, it was probably just the white uniforms, but I thought Akron's defensive players looked enormous in that entire <laughs> game as I was watching it. But um, regardless, like that's to me, that's the key to this game. Like it's, it's, it's not about our, our, like the strength of their defense is at defensive end. Or I should say, the most terrifying part of their defense. Is their I was going to say, <laughs> um, and if the if if our O line can be smart about blocking, and Thorson can be fast delivering the ball, we can move it against against this team. Um, they haven't played a good offense, and and Notre Dame's offense is not good. And and again, that that lack of discipline is what really hurt them. Michigan's in the bottom ten in terms of uh, penalties this year, thirty five penalties for over three hundred yards. Wow. North Northwestern's in the top five, eleven penalties for one hundred and eleven yards. Now we've played one less game, but still, that's a third, a third of what Michigan has allowed. Um, and Michigan spent the. Th- first three quarters of the Notre Dame game shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, this, the the other thing that I think is important to note, and this is where, this is where what I was talking about earlier that, you know, going into this game with, with a, 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 an unknown commodity at running back is, is not a great situation. However, Michigan has allowed an average of 2.7 yards per rush thus far this year. 
Right. So it's it's not an uncertainty. We just won't be running the like, ball. We shouldn't be running the ball. We we should be attacking the flanks. Um you know, this is one of those cases where short passes instead of instead of runs probably make a lot of sense because their D-line is so good. Um they are missing one of their starting DBs. Uh, one of their linebackers will be missing the first half from a targeting call last week, his, his second car- targeting call two weeks in a row. So watch out for that guy, Hudson, in the second half, Cats. Um, and, you know, the the thing that we all thought was going to was just going to come to pass with Michigan this year was, was their QB, and, and Shea Patterson was going to be a plug-and-play and just really do incredible things. But I, I think the more that you watch them, and and this is week five, so this may have changed, right? But but from that Notre Dame Notre Dame game forward, you look at Shea Patterson, you look at Dylan McCaffrey. These are QBs with an ability to do things with their legs, and they are running an extremely like like close your eyes and think about Jim Harbaugh coached Stanford. Think about uh, the most like boring, not boring, but like it's all fullbacks and tight ends and power blocks and everything. And like, they're not taking big, advantage big armed, of big armed quarterbacks welded to the field. Right? Yeah. And they're not taking advantage of these guys. Now, that being said, they can extend plays in ways that Michigan quarterbacks have not been able to in the past. And that's a real concern, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm worried. I'm very scared of Michigan, but I, this, this doesn't feel like a game we can't, we can't win. If we were playing Ohio state, I, I would, I would be at a loss for, for where we find an edge. Um, I'm not at a loss going into this game. The one other thing that is, this is stupid to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. They played a perfect game against Nebraska. They won 56 to 10. It was, it was never even remotely close from like the first three seconds of the game. This game was virtually over. I just, people, if, if you have, if you've been listening to us and you still need us to explain how bad Nebraska is, We're going to keep reminding you. But point being, like, they played a perfect game last week. That doesn't generally happen week after week after week for teams. And if if Michigan plays a perfect game against us, we will lose. We will get crushed. If they don't play a perfect game against us, that's when we have a shot to potentially keep it close and do some things and hit some big plays and and maybe come out with this uh, of this with a win. For sure. And I think one of the things, too, is, you know, We've had the bye week. We've been waiting for offensive linemen to get healthy. We've been waiting for defensive tackles to get healthy again, too. Like these... we've, been, we've been waiting for Thorson to be 100%. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, like, the, this rest time is really important. Um, in case anyone's wondering, Michigan is averaging 5.5 yards a carry as a team rushing the ball right now. They did nothing against Notre Dame. Nothing. 1.8. Right. Um, there, and that is the strength of our defense. So if you're expecting that Michigan is going to run to set up the pass, they're not. The guy who terrifies me is Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, <laughs> he is just waiting to burn one of our cornerbacks deep uh, on a big play. Um, Grant Perry, you could say the same thing. I mean, Michigan is not starved for great wide receivers. And... Um, I think, Scuzz, you talked about it in the summer. And our secondary has had a rough couple of weeks, for sure, giving up the big plays. I would expect you are really going to be seeing... I mean, first of all, Michigan, to Scuzz's point, that Scuzz just said, Michigan doesn't run Duke's offense. It's not going to be hike and Shea gets it out as quick as he possibly can. That's not the system. Except, um, except maybe it should be because their offensive line is not very good. It well, should be the system. That right. should absolutely be the system. Right. And I mean, and the thing is, I bring that up because Hankowitz is going to be able to do exactly what he wants to do, which is take our corners way off the line of scrimmage hope that Michigan runs it into the line and gets stuffed and hope that Patterson is missing passes. Now, again, I'm not, it's not like we can't hate on Michigan for playing awesome against bad teams. And Patterson's been good again, those games and Michigan's run the ball well in those games. But um, again, I can't stress enough that Duke was absolutely shut down except for two plays in that game and was obliterated the entire second half by our defense. A Duke team that, by the way, is 4-0 right now and 
is going to be really close to being favored against Virginia Tech and maybe favored against Virginia oh, Tech. Oh, no, it is favored against Virginia, yeah. Virginia Tech, but that's that's in part because uh, Virginia Tech's QB just broke his leg. Well, and they lost to Old Dominion last yeah. week. Uh, well, well <laughs> and, again, their quarterback broke his leg. Uh, right. I think Duke's a, Duke's a five-point favorite right, right now. And all of a sudden, Duke is wondering, Daniel Jones all of a sudden is, is questionable in his week-to-week with his collarbone injury. And I mean, that, Duke that is, feels like subterfuge. Duke, Duke fans, honest. Duke fans are talking about a quarterback rotation now, um, and which, which like simmer down, Duke fans. Like you need Daniel Jones back <laughs> in your life. <laughs> but the but the point is, like Duke, the sky didn't cave in on Duke like it was supposed to, at least not as of yet. And Duke very well may be rolling into Georgia Tech ranked a week from now. So uh, not to put the cart before the horse, but we totally shut down their offense except for two plays. And the and Akron, again, I know people want to look back on those deep balls and everything. Akron scored 18 points offensively in that game. Um, and this is an Akron team that came pretty darn close to beating Iowa State this past weekend too. So... The point is, the defense is still there, and I think we're going to try to play field position. Hankowitz is going to roll the corners off. We're going to try to stuff their run, see what they've got going, not get burned over the top by one of their wide receivers. Easier said than done. Um, And then, right, and then the offensive side of the ball, and we haven't mentioned him a heck of a lot because of how how hard it's all going to fall on him, but it's a healthy Clayton Thorson. I would I I would love to see that five wide uh, approach that they brought out right before half against Akron. I mean that's a little terrifying to put on him on an island in the backfield, but if they if they can script um, a lot of quick throws to the edges through that and and you and leveraging Cam Green in the middle, that just that feels like a way to open the can a little bit against against Michigan and and get get some momentum. And, you know, you speak about opening the can and, and, you know, releasing the hounds a little bit. You know, it's always been Fitz's M.O. You don't show anything in the non-conference. And <laughs> I mean, God I forbid. You just, God you just gave forbid. me a flashback, Sam. Now I'm twitching again. <laughs> you, you got Thorson, who played most of the Akron game, an, a week off, and now you're into conference play. Yes, we did open with Purdue and, you know, we probably didn't release the hounds against Purdue. Maybe we should have a little bit more, but we did, we, we won that game. You know, two non-conference games, two fairly vanilla, you know, play. I think, I think someone peed, I think someone peed in my vanilla ice cream. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the, the playbook was fairly vanilla. And now you're into, you know, getting into October. That's kind of when the team starts to figure it out. You know, you're into conference play. There's no need to, you know, hide things, play things close to the vest anymore. It, you know, it, if Northwestern comes out this weekend, it looks like a completely different team. I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah, and if if we succeed, it's going to be the names you know the, the names we know: Flynn Nagel, Bennett Skoranek, um, Cam Green. It's good. these guys are going to have a huge day. Um, that's where the offense is going to be for us. Um, anything on the ground, anything out of John Moten is just gravy. Um, but we will do it throwing the ball. And um, this, you know, Thorson, who's had just not the season he's dreamed of up until this point, this is the kind of game that he's waited four years to, to be in. So um, this is a real moment for him against an awesome defense um, where it's going to really fall on him. But uh, a field position game, a low scoring game um, where we can make throws, we can make our throws and limit their ability to make throws. And, and we could be in this one. That being said, you know, there are, there's definitely a plenty of scenarios where we just get absolutely rolled. And if, if that happens, yeah. I'm not going to, I'll be disappointed, sure, but it's not going to be surprising. Well, that's, that's what happened. That's what happened two years ago against Michigan, uh, and against Iowa. Um, we entered those games with like a lot of hype, a lot of excitement, and, our offense couldn't move the ball, and by the time the second half rolled around, our D just completely ran out of gas. And 
that could certainly happen in this game. The two solutions that I can most see for, you know, for us getting rolled in this game, one is just we can't get across our own 30-yard line, and we're just always in a situation where we're punting. And Michigan starting at their own 40, their own 50, and they're always moving downhill. That's going to be a really bad sign. Like, we have to be able to control the clock at least enough to play that field position game with them. And the second is turnovers. I mean, obviously, coming out of the Akron game, we know that. But um, giving Michigan any kind of short field to work with is just helping them out. We have to make them get long yards. They have to make them earn long drives against our defense. Um, If we can put them in that kind of situation then I think we could be in it. I absolutely see why, you know, where Fitz would want to play this, a very low possession game. You know, he wants to, you know, just dominate the time of possession, you know, limit Michigan's possessions. The problem with that is you need your running game to be effective in order for that to, to that, for in order for that to really work. And, you know, as we've been saying, it's going to be, it's going to be a little dicey. Um, with that running game. I mean, all you have to do is look at the, the Michigan-Notre Dame game. We want a gross, low-scoring game. <laughs> that's that's what we're looking at. We want we need Michigan not to be able to get out of their own way a little bit, especially in the first half. Uh, should we quickly talk about the other games on the docket? I mean, was, was there anything from last weekend that we really need to, to mention? I have to be honest, I was moving this weekend. I saw zero college football at all. Thank you very much, Comcast. Um, and anything we really need to talk about or should we just look in, look at this weekend's games? So, I mean, to like, to me, the, one of the big takeaways from a Northwestern perspective last weekend is like things, things pretty much went well for us. Um, at least like kind of in the, in the opponent sense. So Iowa state was, um, pushed and really tested by Akron. Again, I mean that. So that Akron team, we thought they were they were dog crap coming into the year, and it's 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 not the case. They got some stuff going on. Um, we still shouldn't have lost to them, but you know, uh, Wisconsin continued to look vulnerable, uh, which you know, we're <laughs> we're putting a lot of hopes on that on that Wisconsin game, and and ultimately, I think it was better for our chances to win the West. Um, that they beat Iowa just given how easy Iowa's schedule is and that we have to go to Iowa city. Uh, Purdue destroyed Boston college that the final score was 30 to 13, but it wasn't that close. Um, Boston college was ranked. They were a darling coming they were favored by quite a bit coming to this game and Purdue just housed them uh, in West Lafayette. And that, I feel like that looked really good for, for Northwestern and our win there. And then Duke, uh, Duke continued to to beat up on the teams they're playing. I mean, it was North Carolina Central, but um, they could they continue to kind of not miss a beat even after those injuries, like you already kind of discussed, John. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I mean, Duke is yeah they're ranked now, playing a Virginia Tech team that is in a dark dark place. And I think yeah, so it's you can put a little bit of a of a smiley face on it all. But obviously, I mean, I you know. The, you can only take all this so far. It's on our, it's on us to start winning some games. Um, you know, Purdue, they get to, their head to Nebraska this week, and again, David Blau threw for what about 500 yards, I think, against BC. Um, or no, he threw for 500 yards against Mizzou, but he had a good game, uh, another 296 against BC. So you're talking a quarterback who has thrown for 800 yards in his past two games, going up against. Does Nebraska have a quarterback? Unclear. Un- un- he, he, he took a beating against Michigan. Yeah. Uh, and so, why? Why did they? Why did they I, even trot him out? I don't. I, I I get why they brought him out to begin with, but um, they should have put him on 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 ice or you know wrapped him in cotton wool, uh, as they say in New Zealand uh, when they talk about the rugby team. Um, they're just he like the the other thing about Martinez. He's a freshman. He wants to make. He's extending the play. He's keeping it alive. He's making that throw as defenders are barreling down on him. The guy got hit so many times that game, and I just I don't think that was a great a great plan for Nebraska. And just remember too, Nebraska's defense is worse than Missouri's defense and worse than Boston College's defense. How many times do we have to state this? They're horrible at football on both sides of the ball. 
Um, so Purdue's but, but probably John, prob- but John, Scott Frost. Uh, true. I'm, I keep forgetting. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, my view is blocked by his national championship trophy, and I can't see the – but <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't see the TV. Um, no, but I mean, so, so yeah. But again, this is all like a long way around way of saying that, yeah, teams who Northwestern has played um, – are, are you know after having been in down places are now kind of headed to more positive places and we maybe we can join them. Uh, so elsewhere around the Big Ten this weekend, you've got uh, Central Michigan traveling to Michigan State. I don't know if we're yeah. going to be able to take too much away from that as we no, look no. ahead to Michigan State the the weekend after. Um, Indiana at Rutgers. Oh boy, Rutgers How? is bad. Oh, they're so horrible. Oh, Remember when we thought that Indiana and Rutgers could be like a thing? Like, who's going to be like? Oh my God, Indiana might be down compared to, but I'm I, Rutgers. Well, Indiana's Indiana's three and one right now. Right. I mean, I and they're going into Piscataway a seventeen point favorite. Indiana could be zero and four, and I'd be like, "What were the quality of their losses? <laughs> <laughs> Did they get smoked by Buffalo and Kansas?" <laughs> oh man! Well, so the one thing you should know about Buffalo is they have a quarterback that, um, holy moly, the the guy was throwing uh, like fifty yard bombs on a rope. You know, granted he had receivers just running free all over the place, but um, that is a guy whose name you are going to hear uh, come come NFL draft time in the next uh, year or two. But, you know, Indiana has looked decent. They haven't really played anyone. They eked out a, a, a tight win against Virginia. Um, their schedule is brutal. I remember we, we debated a lot, like, whether or not they were going to be able to get to bowl eligibility. I have I still have a lot of questions about their offense. They, they, they had a smidgen of a chance to maybe do something against Michigan State and then they just kind of shot themselves in the foot too many times but the, but the D is decent and I don't think Rutgers is going to move the ball and it's going to be a beat down <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm looking forward John to your this is a conference game comment <laughs> we get to see the box score yeah, on well, this in, next weekend in Rutgers, in Rutgers defense they've done really well against Indiana the past couple of years oh, oh. no wait they lose like 50 to 10 every time they play Indiana <laughs> Uh, we, we discussed the Purdue-Nebraska game. Um, anything else to add on that? Purdue going into Lincoln, the three-and-a-half-point favorite. You mean like, oh, do you, can I kick the corpse one more sure, time? Sure, go for it. I'm, go. I'm teeing you <laughs> up for it. There you go. I kicked it. Uh, move on. Big game in the Big Ten. There's a lot of bye weeks this week, but uh, you know, Ohio State at Penn State. You know, College game day is going to be there. This is the you know this is kind of the marquee matchup that a lot of people have been – waiting for um ohio state goes in a three and a half point favorite and you know penn state they've looked good the past few weeks i don't know i'm still not buying into it i know i it It, stinks especially when ohio state's concerned well it stinks too because i i feel like we've been down this road before with penn state and that there is a little bit of a paper tiger thing going on i mean i know they played that epic game against the Buckeyes last year, but um, technically we need Penn State to be really good, especially at home because Wisconsin goes to Penn State later in the season. Um, And that Penn State ability to win that game would be incredibly helpful to us. Um, With that said, I hate both of these teams. So I'm kind of like, I I can't, I don't really have a real rooting interest here, but I I would expect that Ohio State is going to be bringing a hurricane into Penn State that I just don't think Penn State's ready for. I kind of agree, but I but I don't know. I I don't quite know what to think because Ohio State certainly hasn't been tested. I mean, they they had to deal with a lot of speed from TCU, but this is a different this is a different entity. I, I think in terms of the pro potential of some of the skill position guys. But Penn State's D to me is the big the big question mark here. I mean, you know that often you know that Ohio State's good on both sides of the ball. I just don't think Penn State has a defense. At the same time, without Nick Bosa, is that going to give Trace McSorley just a lot of run to do crazy things? So um, I really have no idea what to expect from this one. So yeah, that it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting. Um, this is an aside. We're the Gus game. Oh, oh boy! Give us that magic, oh boy. <laughs> hey, that's that bodes well. Um, we were can. You, 
Were you guys watching uh, Wisconsin Iowa? Well, I'd say, you know, you no, I wasn't. Yeah, John, sorry, dude. Uh, <laughs> say, I John, wanted you, to. I really wanted to. Were you watching when when I think it was Iowa got like a, or, or Wisconsin tackled a, tackled an Iowa player in the backfield for like a three yard loss and Gus shouts, "Winter is coming!" <laughs> I did not see that. That's incredible, though. <laughs> Um, so we're the Gus game and the hope is we can become a Gus game. Um, maybe, you know, Brent Musburger can sit, sit, uh, Gus down and be like, here's how you handle an epic Northwestern Michigan game. Um, the, I can, I can only hope, but that would be pretty great to, you know, to the big 10 slate too. I do want to throw in, um, the Stanford Notre Dame game which obviously we play Notre Dame later this year. I feel like we know very little more about Notre Dame than we know about Michigan, other than that Notre Dame's quarterback change was a great idea. Um, but I feel like Stanford and Notre Dame are both way overranked right now. And I'll be really curious to see you know, what we learn about both of these teams, but obviously, especially the Irish, um, that they're playing each other. I mean, it's technically the number seven and number eight teams in the country. And um, I'll be really curious to see if either of them look like a top 10 team in this game. You know, as we talk about Gus games and, and Brent games and, you know, these, you know, opportunities for memorable uh, experiences with, you know, certain commentators, uh, you know, kind of leads me right into our next uh, topic where, you know, last time we talked about, you know, awful beats, uh, that, you know, games that were Northwestern, you know, just kind of had your hearts ripped out. Um, and we did promise that we would come back this week with, uh, lists of, you know, some of the best games that, you know, we, we experienced either in person or on TV or, or whatever. But, you know, in kind of in our experiences as Northwestern fans, um, you know, what, what are some of the most memorable ones? And, um, I, I, we'd be, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, start off with, uh, you know, in, my list is in, in no particular order, uh, just because, um, I didn't have an opportunity to do that with, well, with my internet not coming up until today. Um, thanks, Comcast. Um, but, you know, one, probably one of the most memorable games I was ever at, uh, had to have been the, uh, the Noah Heron Ohio State game, um, back in 2003, uh, beating Ohio State for the first time in however many, I mean, forever. 34 years. Yeah. I mean, just 34 years and, you know, doing it in that fashion. No, it was 33 years because Noah Heron wore number 33. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thir- that's right. And it was a 33-yard run. Uh, was it and we thir- won. I don't know if it was a 33-yard, but we won, we, won, run. we won 33 to 27. Right. So, the you know, 33 came up a lot in that. So, um, I'm, I'm just going to lead off with that game as, as one of my most memorables. It was also we we all got the opportunity to scream Nuge after their kicker who never misses missed, um, and that was I mean that was just great for for a generation of Northwestern fans that had never seen the Cats win a game against Ohio State. I would add that although he's on the injured reserve right now, Mike Nugent is still kicking in the NFL, which <laughs> just warms my heart because I see him every you know every random Sunday, and it just takes me back to that magical place. And I'm like, you weren't making them that day, Mike. Yeah, that that game's in my top five as well because it was um, it was a really epic event, and we've we we've, we've come very close against Ohio State a couple other times during during the course of of our fandom the last you know twenty twenty years, uh, but yeah, that was that was a good one. Um, so also on my list, um, you know, two thousand nine Wisconsin. Uh, 33-31, Cameron Mabin with the interception at the end of the game to seal that win. Wisconsin was ranked at the time. We were not. Um, and that, you know, was, that was a lot of fun. An- another, uh, field rushing at, uh, Ryan Field. You don't see that too, too often. And, you know, I, I think of last year when we beat Michigan State and they rushed the field. That was a non-earned field rushing. I, I don't count that. But, uh, the, the 09 one was, was pretty amazing. Um, that that was know, a big win too. That that essentially got us into the Outback Bowl. We beat Illinois the following week, but uh, Illinois was crap. Um, and the other thing that's worth mentioning that was such a such a back and forth affair with Wisconsin. 
And uh, I had I had this noted uh, for my final thought this game, but um, Zeke Markshausen threw a threw a thirty eight yard like wide receiver to wide receiver touchdown pass to Sidney Stewart. So that I mean that game just had some some really fun moments. Um, I I have to put on it hurts me to do it, but the the twenty ten Iowa game uh, that's the the Dan Persa injury game, um, yep. just an insane finish with you know coming back to win and also losing purse at the same time, just the roller coaster of emotions in a matter of seconds. I mean, that, that game was insane. Well, how, like how confident were you guys on that final drive? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the, the peak career moment of, we talked about it, the greatest Northwestern quarterback of the West lot pirates era at his, at his apex. Um, and it's sad it had to end like that, but we'll always remember just how good he was. When I'll never forget watching, like their D line was so heralded, and in the fourth quarter, like they were exhausted. We we had schemed and paced that game exactly the way we wanted, and in that that final drive, Persa was masterful in just directing traffic, not huddling, not allowing Iowa to um, to rotate enough, and they had nothing left in the tank, and we were able to, to just march down the field. It was masterful. Uh, also on my list, uh, 2014 at Notre Dame. Um, just, I, I'd never been to the stadium before. It was really cool. It was really cold. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, just that, the way that game went and, you know, the way our season had gone at that point and, um, you know, t- to go into South Bend and come out with a win, you know, after, you know, not seeing them, since 95 uh was just so special and it was really really cool to be in the stands for that game none of us were around in 95 so yeah that one that's it that one's in my top five as well and of course i have like the family element of uh all of my in-laws are like are quite large notre dame fans so um yeah um (laughs) I, I'm I'm gonna skip over the the 2000 season. I, I'm guessing you guys probably have uh, Michigan and Minnesota in that. So I'm gonna actually go into the wayback machine. 1996, uh, Northwestern v Michigan, 17-16. Brian Goins kicking the field goal with time running out after Michigan had been up 16 nothing going into the fourth quarter. Uh, inadvertent whistle or a timeout. And Goins had to line up and kick it again and did it. You know, so he got inadvertently Shanahan before Shanahaning was a thing and uh, didn't didn't let it phase him. Um, at the big house, too. No, no. It was in Evanston. Oh, that was in Evanston. It was that the was, year before that, it was at the big house. That's yeah, right. the year before it was in the big house. Yeah, that was that was my freshman year uh, on, on campus. And just, I mean, the stadium was completely full of purple because that was right after the Rose Bowl season. So, you know, imagine a Northwestern Michigan game with the entire stadium being purple because that's not what's going to be this Saturday. Um, but it was that back in 96 and that was, you know, the energy in that stadium was just incredible. Um, also, you know, on my list and this is, you know, just kind of in the, Fun road trips category. Um, you know, it was really cool to go to Boston College. That was a lot of fun. Uh, cause we, we talked about the uh, Arizona State trip, um, a couple weeks ago that, you know, that was just a really good time. But one that I really remember was, uh, 2001 Northwestern at UNLV. Uh, I was living in Vegas at the time and, you know, to be able to actually host everyone to come out, uh, from, you know, Evanston or from the, from the Chicago area, came out to Vegas, crashed on my floor, and we all went to that game, and that was just, that was so much fun. Yeah, for my final, uh, for my five, um, my number five, I'll retrace one that Sam already brought up, um, which was the Ohio State game, the Noah Heron game. Um, I was living, I believe, in North Carolina at that time, watched it on TV, and um my time in North Carolina, not the highlight of my life <laughs> in games like that. Um, there was an epic game against Iowa, a uh, comeback against Iowa that happened while I was in North Carolina too, but that Ohio State game 
jumps out and because it's the only time, you know, as long as we've been um, following Northwestern that we've beaten Ohio State. So that was that was a really big one. For my number four, I'll say the Pinstripe Bowl. I was at that. That is the most fun, uh, the most Northwestern environment. And I say, you know, I you know, to Sam, to your point about um, the Michigan game from '96. Even at the very best times, when it's a really big Big Ten opponent, I mean, in Northwestern, in our stadium, you're going to have a ton of opposing fans. Some sitting right around you, no matter how close you are to the home side 50 yard line, and. And the pinstripe bowl wasn't like that at all. The pit, pit fans were way far away, way on the other side. Um, it was packed with Northwestern fans making up entire one half of Yankee Stadium. So it was a raucous pro-Northwestern environment. The pregame tailgate in Yankee Stadium was just amazing. Just this who's who of of Northwestern alums. And the game itself was just fantastic. It was a phenomenal game, super exciting with an awesome ending. And just being part of just that raucous, massive throng of Northwestern fans without an opposing fan in sight was was just the best. So that's my number four. And now, as Sam alluded, we get to the year 2000, (laughs) (laughs) which has a stranglehold over uh, my top three. Number three for me on that list um, was the Michigan game, the game everybody remembers, the instant classic, the aforementioned Musburger game. Uh, We were all on the field after that game, or I mean, Scuzz and I were on the field after that game. Um, And it was an absolutely epic game. It was every bit. Um, The thing I remember most about that game was the place I was in mentally after everything that had happened that season so far, that when Damian Anderson fumbled, I knew we were going to win the game. And I, I don't know how to explain that, but I just, I felt that we were being guided by a higher force at that point and we were not going to lose. And when, uh, when the a train fumbled, it was just like a confirmation of that. So that's my number three. And the fact that I put that, said everything I just said and put that game third should tell you about the quality of the other two. Number two is the Wisconsin game from the same year. I was at that game. Um, oh, I'm so jealous. Is the, That's the one, the one epic game that I, I, I missed. I was at that game doing stats for WNUR. And were you to somehow get a hold of the audio for that game you would hear me at the end of that game even though i was not supposed to be making any sound as the <laughs> um, because it was it was just epic and just to be in the upper deck of that stadium in that kind of like exposed press box where they put us um at that point like we were not we were not in the good seats relative to radio uh for that game but um just to be up there, to be, you know, dressed up, to have been on the field the night before and done the whole game, and then just to be part of the crew for that game was absolute insanity. And, of course, the game was, was absolutely epic. We went on this incredible comeback. Um, Tim Long hit an incredible field goal to force overtime, and then, you know, we beat them in OT. It was just an incredible game. And that was, I think they were ranked either, I think, fifth or sixth in the nation, um, they were just this absolute juggernaut. Dane had just left, but they had Michael Bennett, who a lot of people thought, um, and not without reason, was a better pro, pro, pro prospect than Dane was. Um, and we beat them. And it was un, just an unbelievable win. And that was the win that started it all because we'd been throttled by TCU the week before and LaDainian Tomlinson. And then we went on the road and beat Wisconsin in it. And then that just started the whole miracle ride. And the number one on my list is the 2000 Northwestern Minnesota game, which um, I can't wait to hear. Scuzz was at that game. I was not. Scuzz was not part of the throng that broke the couch in our apartment at the end of that game. Um, a, a leading that the, the broken springs in that couch to proudly sag to the floor. Anytime someone sat in the middle of it for the entire <laughs> rest of the time, we owned that crap couch. And every time I would sit in there and sink deep down to the floor, I would just feel a little bit warm inside. Um, that game, um, and I know I'll let Scuzz talk about it in a second, was was not a Rembrandt for the first three quarters. But um, down the stretch, it is one of the most amazing collections of 
um, just miracle plays. I think we were something like six of six on fourth down in that game. Um, had we missed any one of those six, we would have lost. And of course, the ending. You know, one of the definitely one of the three most iconic plays in Northwestern history. Um, and just, uh, I mean, that that game was absolutely epic. And watching it from our apartment, ending with five guys deliriously destroying a couch. I just there's there's a short list of a short list of moments in my life that don't directly involve my daughter or my wife that that are my best. And that that may be the number one moment. The the best 15 minutes of Northwestern football I've ever watched. (laughs) But I can't put it in my top five because the first 45 minutes were (laughs) abjectly horrific. Um, But it was, it was that, yeah, that was, there was a group of like 25 of us that road tripped up to Minnesota for that. Um, We had a lot of fun. Uh, I was wearing like John Randall style face paint. <laughs> um, yeah, I was fired up. So, so my top five. I, I I've got fifty four fifty one um, against Michigan. I've got the Ohio State game. I've got Notre Dame from twenty fourteen. There's two I want to mention, then a couple of quick honorable mentions. So, number one for me is the Gator Bowl. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to to attend. Uh, we had a nice little group of friends down there. Uh, my wife came as well. It's probably the most she's ever cheered for Northwestern because <laughs> it was a game that actually like <laughs> mattered. But um, but f- like winning that bowl game, um, having been to a lot of bowl games that went the other direction, uh, it was that that was a moment that I that I that I won't ever forget. It was an emotional moment. It was um, it was really great. And that team, like that 2012 team, was such a fun team to watch and root for. Um, and the the way it all came together was uh, was really great in in that uh, in that final stanza. So. That's number one for me. Um, the other one in my top five that I wanted to highlight is is an odd one. It's the the final game of the well, it wasn't the final game because we went to a bowl after this, but it was two thousand and three at Illinois. And just to set the stage, this this game was for bowl eligibility. I believe both teams were were five and six coming in, and of course, it's coming off of two of the worst years for Northwestern football in 01 and 02, where where we were bottom of the of the conference and. Illinois had won the whole thing in 2001 inexplicably, uh, or maybe it was 02. I can't, I can't quite remember, but this game was, um, was big for that reason. But the reason it's in my top five is because in the second half, we didn't throw the ball once. Brett Bazinet was three of nine in, in the first half with a pick. Wasn't looking good. And Randy Walker was like, we will run the ball until they stop us. And they were unable to stop us. Uh, Jason Wright and Noah Heron were electric, especially Wright. I believe that was a, that was a big game for him. Uh, we won that game easily. We rushed for, uh, I think, 436, 463 yards uh, in that game. Uh, 70 attempts for 463 yards <laughs> didn't attempt to pass in the second half and like you were you were watching the Illinois faithful like just melt down in front of you because uh, it was it was at Illinois and it was so much damn fun um so that one's in my top five and then I got I just got to throw out a couple honorable mentions so victory right will will always have a place in my heart um, because I was there or whatnot. I, I already made my comment about the game. But the victory right game that is always forgotten is the following year. Uh, Northwestern won, I believe Dave we won. Dave Wazalewski. Yeah, I believe we won all of our non-conference games. And then the first Big, first Big Ten game was against uh, Michigan State. And we were losing and like things didn't look great. And then we ran victory right from like inside of our twenty. And Kustak uh, hit, I forget who tipped it, but uh, John Schweiger ended up catching the pass uh, for like a like a 50-yard gain that put us at the very borderline edge of potential field goal range for Dave Wazalewski. And he buried it at the buzzer for the Cats to win. So uh, that's I've always thought of that as victory rate too. And it, at the time, it meant like Northwestern was undefeated, headed to Ohio State the following weekend. And we felt like we were going to, you know, win out the year it just it felt like the the magic that had been with, with the cats the previous season was wasn't gone and then the other thing i want to i want to highlight are, are what i refer to as the radio games 
I've listened to a lot of Northwestern games over the year on the uh, over the years on the radio for one reason or another, and there are three that stand out, and uh, one two of them are from the 2009 season. The first was a game against uh, against Indiana, where I forget what I had going on that morning, but I couldn't be at the game. Maybe it was a work thing. I don't I don't really recall, but I am I am like racing to Evanston to try and catch the very very end of this thing, um, and. You know, listening to it on the radio, Indiana's coming back. Like, oh my god! Like, starting to think we, we might lose this thing. And then, by the time I get to the parking lot next to the Metra, we're lining up for a potential game-winning field goal. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to get to the stadium, so I just listened to it uh, in the car. You know, 150 yards away from Ryan Field, and uh, and heard Stephen Demos uh, hit it for the win. And then we had a great big celebration in the parking lot afterwards. The other the other big radio game. Um, at Iowa, 2007, Corey Wooten sacks Ricky Stanzi, knocks him out of the game, knocks him out of the season, I believe, and Cats beat number eight Iowa on the road. I think it was the biggest road victory since um, that Wisconsin one in 2000. And then lastly, Super Kane at Nebraska. I listened to this game on the radio in Florida on a family vacation, and um, afterwards, my sister-in-law said, wow, you... You're a really big Northwestern fan, aren't you? Because <laughs> I had been like pacing the corridors and like you know pumping my fists and everything. And we were like dressed up. We were going to uh, my wife's grandmother's like 80th birthday, 85th birthday, or something like that. So like, but um, yeah, that was a uh, that was a good one too. So uh, just some honorable mentions. Uh, if we're going to talk radio games, I do have to mention one as well uh, from back in the 1996 season. Um, the Wisconsin game, the Ron Dane fumble, bef- the, the in much the same way as the in two thousand the uh, the A train fumble, uh, which was inexplicable. Ron Dane, you know, Wisconsin is trying to run out the clock. They sh- they could have just kneeled on it and said they handed it off. Ron Dane fumbles. We pick it up. We go down and we score. Uh, that's at Camp Randall. In '96, you know, on our on our way back to the or on our way to the Citrus Bowl, um, I, I was sitting on the Lakeville listening to that game on the radio. That was that was incredible. Oh, and just again, if if you're being taken back to a special place, just remember, so many opportunities this season for another game, just like one of these, uh, and it all starts this week. Come out, get to the game. <laughs> well, we had to, you know, we had to wallow in things a little bit last week, and I felt like it was. I'm glad we did this. It was important to kind of come back with the other side of the coin because there have been a lot of just really fun, crazy finishes for Northwestern. This is what we. This is why we love college football, right? And it and it it cuts both ways. So, with those warm fuzzies kind of in our hearts, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at westlotpirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 